is an outstanding hundred for an outstanding cricketer. And a statement of the highest quality from Steve Smith. The Sheffield Shield trophy is moving north. Queensland have dominated all four days at Allen Border Field to take out their ninth trophy. Carlos Brathwaite, remember the name. History for the West Indies. One of, if not the greatest, Test match innings ever played. England triumph here against the odds. Then that Stokes is the hero. Welcome to the Inside Edge Cricket Podcast as we take a look at the game around the world. This week's panel includes Mark Browning, Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger, and from the United Kingdom on a brisk British morning, Tom Meredith. I'm Wes Cussworth, and a special welcome to our friends in Perth through 91.3 Sport FM. There's an awful lot to talk about, most of it stemming from Australia's three-day triumph in Hobart as Tasmania hosted an Ashes test for the first time. To you firstly, Tom, what's the fallout been like in the English media? Thanks, Wes, and, and hi, boys. Um well, it's safe to say that it has been particularly one-sided and the media haven't held back um, after England's embarrassing display of, uh, of getting beat 4-0 in the Ashes. Um, inept, um, disaster, these are some of the words that have, that have come out. Um, there's been a, a kind of central theme that after such a poor performance, heads do have to roll. Um, and those heads that are on the chopping block in in most media articles that I've read over the past week are, firstly, Ash, Ashley Giles as as managing director. Um, he's made some some interesting decisions over his his past couple of years um, in giving sole selection and coaching responsibility to Chris Silverwood. I think that has that has come into the forefront and under the microscope now after after the results. So he's he's one of the chopping block. I've seen a couple of um, couple of guys in the media tipping Andrew Strauss to come back into that role, which I think would be um, would be a good decision. The next guy on the chopping block is obviously Chris Silverwood. I think after a after a performance like that, um, the calls for for his head are are everywhere, and, and I think it's it's particularly hard for him to justify his his role um, as chief selector and coach after some of the selections um, that he's made in this Ashes. And um, you just go back to that first test in, in the Gabba and um, the side we put out, it was just not the right team and is littered with with examples with that. So I think Silverwood's under under a bit of trouble. Um, and there's many, many calling for Joe Root's head as well, which which I think is probably is probably fair again after after the performance. But I think that the benefit Joe Root has is that there's not many people left to take his position. So um, I think Joe Root will will survive, if, if you ask me. But there's going to be some major um, major decisions made in regards to uh, county cricket, the, the schedule um, and the focus on red ball cricket. Everyone is calling for, for that as well. And even Joe Root himself had come out firing this week. I'm not sure if you saw this comment, lads, but... He's come out firing against county cricket and basically said that anyone in that England team that has done well has done it in spite of county cricket 
rather than because of it, which is powerful words for an England captain to say. And them is fighting words, I think. So there's going to be big changes, um, big changes in <laughs> over in England with regards to cricket over the next four years. But um, what what have you guys seen over there in terms of in terms of coverage from the English media, but also coverage from from the Australian media? Well, Tom, the interesting thing is, is obviously there is some uh, former English cricketers amongst the uh, the commentary teams here in Australia, and and I think uh, the two main ones in um, uh, Michael uh, um, who uh, Michael um, Vaughan, oh. and that's right, Michael Vaughan, and also Surya and both of them uh, have both been very visceral and and both been very. Uh, very uh, damning of, of what's gone on. I think uh, Sir Ian Botham was was uh, disgusted at what he saw uh, in in Hobart on that uh, final day, uh, as the rest of the world was shocked watching what was what was going on. I, I'm interested in the in the comments of Joe Root though, in terms of the players who played well did it in spite of county cricket and uh, the potential overhaul there. There there was an interesting comment made. Uh, the other day about potentially England trying to uh, get more of their players and their young players over into the Sheffield Shield competition here in Australia. Uh, and uh, one of the Australian um, reporters suggested that they should pack their bags and forget about it in terms of forcing their way into Sheffield Shield teams in place of Australian local cricketers. But they did float a very interesting idea uh, in that maybe the England uh, County Cricket Board or England Cricket Board could actually uh, select a squad of 14 or 15, maybe 20 players, bring them over here for the Australian summer and actually play them as a seventh team in the Sheffield Shield competition, which I thought, gentlemen, was a, a fairly interesting idea. Well, in days past, Mark, they have sort of done that. They call tour matches where you play against the state teams and um, you can lead in, you, you can have vital first-class cricket against Sheffield Shield teams on Australian pitches to acclimatise before the first test and ha also have a few games sprinkled between the games so you can recalibrate and adjust your tactics and your selections as you go. Um this, this idea that you can land in Australia, play five without uh, first-class cricket, play five consecutive test matches without any other games in between, and in that way, you're just hoping to be competitive. And I think the players were behind the eight ball to begin with. Then, of course, there was some bizarre selections. You had situations where two of their best bowlers Bowled more overs after the Ashes were lost. I'm speaking of Broad and Wood. They bowled more overs after the Ashes were lost than they did before the Ashes were lost. Um, and that says a lot about where English cricket thinking is at the moment. It is strictly amateur hour. Boys, if we take out the uh, miracle of 2010-11, orchestrated by Andrew Strauss and his, and his uh, cohorts, England's record in Australia over the last 35 years is three wins and 30 losses. We've got COVID situation. We had the problems of that. So can someone explain to me a couple of things here, and, and, and Tom, you'll be one of them. Uh, how is this loss worse than 5-0 in 2006-7 and 2013-14 and 4-0 last time? 
when they couldn't bowl out the Marsh brothers, the Marsh brothers made four centuries between them. So this time it's, the batting's been the problem. Last time it was the bowling. And what England go around doing this all the time, this slash and burn, and Tom will know from the media over there, they do this every time England get eliminated from a European World Cup and, and, um, and sorry, a European Cup and a World Cup in soccer, and they, they just want to slash and burn everything. Now, if you start doing that again, it's starting from scratch in your throat. You, if you get Joe Root and you burn Joe Root, then you've lost your best batsman, and only batsman really, because Ben Stokes is hot and cold and who knows where his head is at in any particular year. So they've got to be really careful. It's always county cricket comes under the cosh. Um, and, I, I mean, they write about the wickets, and I saw the Sky blokes all talk about that. They write county wickets in the start of the season. If Darren Stevens is getting five for 40 every second time he bowls, he's a 45-year-old, then obviously there's an issue there. But I know in 18, 1989, it was the fault of county cricket. The next year, they took the seams off the balls and everybody from numbers 1 to 11 made 100. They, two sides made 800 at the Oval, Surrey and Lancashire. So, look, you've got to be careful. You've got to be realistic. You've got to think about what you do. You've got to think about how you're constructing the mentality of the guys as well that bat because they don't seem to know how to bat three or four hours if they're, if they're young players. Even Crawley, as good as he looked in Sydney, he doesn't look like he knows how to construct an innings it's going to last three or four hours so mm. yeah tom what about the media's just can be brutal over there and you've got to be careful you don't just slash and burn the whole thing i think i think it is, it is within within english media in particular but english people's nature to um to call for for drastic changes when things go wrong in the sporting environment because we we expect so much from our sporting teams and when you look at the English cricket team in particular, you are right that this has happened a number of times before. But I think what has, what has changed over the past few years is that firstly, England are amazing on the one-day scene. We've got amazing one-day players and are winning World Cups and have a high expectation within, within cricket. And that high expectation is there within our test team at the moment, where it hasn't been previously. When they got smashed in... In 2006, the expectation wasn't really there, I don't think. Um, maybe a bit the second 4-0, it was there. But but this time, it, we expect to be competing with Australia every time we go. And this, this series and this tour, unlike any other, was completely inept, um, completely brittle. And there was no fight shown from ball one to, to the last ball in Hobart. And I think if you look at the last ball in Hobart, Robinson's dismissal it kind of sums up England's performance. He, he, the ashes is finished with Robinson falling over three yards outside, leg stick, bold, wickets everywhere. No fight whatsoever. And I think when you overlay that to the fact that there isn't, the scariest thing about this is that there isn't many, many lads breaking down the door to get selected. Um, when you look at the stats, you look at the the people who who are, are being tipped to to improve this. There's no one with an amazing record. So I think it's more the fact that we've got this this batting lineup for, in the test team that isn't working, and then everyone's looking at like what's next. There isn't much coming in next either. So where is English cricket going over the next over the next period? And I think that's probably where the the um, 
the kind of the, the discussion around things need to change is coming from more, more this time than any other. There's no real light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so that that is going to require some some careful consideration and some change, I feel. One more quick question, if I may, gentlemen, to Tom. You, much younger than the rest of us, you've gone through the system at Loughborough. How much of your coaching uh, technique and mentally was about uh, playing shorter form cricket compared to being able to bat three or four hours and construct an innings against a red ball that might be moving around a bit? What's the emphasis like in the, in the elite coaching? Yeah, look, I've I've not played the the four or five day cricket to be honest. I've played a lot of two day cricket, but and the coaching at that stage was was to try and to try and bat long but be positive. And I think since I've been through that system, it's probably continued to go in the positive direction and the positive message. All of these lads are playing T Twenty and one day cricket as well, and it's that is that is essentially go out and bat bat your way back yourself to score runs. And that's probably why we are so good at one day cricket. But when you have those lads then trying to change the game to, to, to bat longer periods, bat five hours in a test match, they still can't get out of that bat your way, bat positive mentality. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to change that, that, that coaching mentality slightly. And the lads are going to have to want to train like that, want to bat in the net for, for hours upon hours. And, Again, it probably comes down to where their where their loyalties and where their where their money lies. So a lot of these lads are chasing their IPL dollars and and usually going to the nets and and try and smash everything. So um, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a mindset change that's needed in in the group of players that we we trust to be the test batsmen over the next four years. Gentlemen, a bit of a uh, if my mother had a moustache, she'd be my father. Question here. Um, uh, if England had have had uh, Joffrey Archer at their disposal and uh, teaming him up with Mark Wood opening the bowling, or at least being in the bowling attack, do you think we might be sitting here talking about a much different result now? Personally, I don't think not a different result. I think you would have had a, a completely different complexion of the series, but this, this, the elements that let England down are still there. Um, Archer, um, hopefully will re-establish himself at test level, but that is there's no certainty about that. Um, and, and Mark Wood, as we know, is injury prone. But, yes, you would have thought, hope, they would have gone in 12 months ago thinking that Archer and Wood could have led this attack in Australia and done something really positive. Yeah, I agree. I think he would only have made that team better. It would have been a, a little bit closer. Um, again, if you're not putting the runs on the board... It, it doesn't really matter. So, um, but yeah, he's another worry. He's, he's injured. He's injured quite a lot, Archer. So we need to get him back on, on, on the pitch. I think England had the advantage that Phil, uh, Pat Cummins didn't play at Adelaide and Josh Hazelwood didn't play, play after Brisbane. Uh, but they had the advantage and, and the English commentators have alluded to this. They actually had three quite English style wickets at Brisbane, Melbourne and Hobart and still couldn't take advantage of them. So as, as well as Wood bowled, he had a wicket like that in Melbourne and took two for 70. So he's been around a while. It, it, he did really well and, and everyone loves his attitude. He hasn't over the years been a match winner anyway. Um, and, yeah, fast bowlers are often unavailable, aren't they? They, they? they break down regularly and you can't – you need a squad. I think also the fact, as I said, the four Mars brothers made hundreds last Ashes series is why England – 
management didn't want to go in with the same plan this time, um, but they still got it wrong. But that's why they were mucking around with their lineups. They they burned out. They they conceded six hundred runs at Sydney last time. So I think that was why they did all this. It was wrong again, but that that's that would be their thinking, I presume. So uh, was the right decision made with regard to Travis Head as the player of the series? You can take this one, Anthony. <laughs> well, look, Travis Head had a very good series, no doubt about it. Well, he played two fine innings. There's no doubt about that. His 100 in Brisbane was a revelation um, because they only just got the nod ahead of Kawaja. Uh, and then uh, on, a, on a green top there in, in Hobart, he, he was outstanding. Lucky in both innings, but outstanding. But no, look, for mine, the player of the series was, was Pat Cummins. He looked dangerous every time he bowled. His captaincy was superb. He probably was 10 or 15 minutes late with the declaration in Sydney. Um, but uh, more pleasing than anything else, we had an Australian team that played without ego, without rancor, without the massive macho rubbish that uh, former captains have insisted upon. There was no sledging. There was no carry-on. Um, they maintained good relations with the opposition, and that was returned in kind. Um, and it was great to see a series played without inane, hatred-like comments in the media, and I think we can put that down to Patrick Cummins and the way in which he accepted missing out in the Adelaide Test from playing under bizarre and ridiculous circumstances. The bedwetters in Australian cricket got their way, and in South Australia, politics. Um, Pat Cummins, for mine, was the standout person player of the series. Gotta love those bedwetters, Anthony. Uh, yeah, do do agree that um, that Travis Head was uh, was was great value uh, with the bat for Australia and batted very well. I'm 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 pumping for the local boy. I think Scotty Boland was the the find and also the player of the series. He uh, absolutely turned this series on its head. Made Test cricket look like he was playing at, at the local park with, uh, you know, with the under twelves. Just absolutely had the ball in the string. The Poms had no idea what he was doing at all, uh, and to bag that many wickets on debut in, a, in an Ashes series, it was just phenomenal. And, and for mine, he was Scotty Boland was the man of the series. Uh, and all I can say is look out twenty twenty three because the way he bowls. And uh, the the attitude that he has to the game and the difficulty that the English had even playing him out here, look out 2023 when he gets over to England because I reckon he's going to be an absolute peach to do a Terry Alderman and perhaps take 40 wickets in that series. He'd enjoy some county cricket, wouldn't he, Tom? Apparently there's been a fair bit of interest expressed by a number of county clubs. Well, I bet there has, yeah. Yeah, he would do do wonders out there um, on the green seamers. I guess that kind of opens back up to the question we had from for Mark at the start. Like English county cricket is open to the Australians, and it, 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 will there come a time where where the Aussies have to share Sheffield cricket a little bit to to improve the standard of cricket around the world? Um, I'm not sure if that if there ever has been an overseas professional play playing um, in the Sheffield Shield. I know there has been the odd occasion, but. Um, if every team were to have at least one overseas player um, get an experience of, of, of playing regularly in, in, in Australian conditions, surely that would help um, 
the standard of, of, of teams and touring teams coming over here. Well, what would your we, thoughts be on, on that, guys? Yeah, we certainly have had some really big names play Sheffield Shield cricket in the past, and the historians amongst the panel will remember Michael Holding playing for Tasmania, uh, Viv Richards for Queensland. Um, who are some of the other names, guys? Well, for, for England, we've had Tom Graveney has played Sheffield Shield cricket, uh, Ollie Milburn. Um, played uh, Sheffield Shield cricket and was uh, made 180 in a session. A session. <laughs> good going. Yeah, had a good had a good run. I think he made 243 and got 180 before lunch. Um, so there have been, of course, Ian Botham had a very successful uh, season for Queensland where he uh, made more runs in the jail cell, I think, in uh, yeah. than he did out on the pitch. <laughs> but. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing because there's only six teams in Australia and th- that's going to be an issue. And, and England are often touring at that time of the year. If it's not in Australia, it could be in South Africa, it could be in, in India. Um, and a lot of players would only be available for partial parts of the season. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one. I just, I just wonder whether the the English authorities, Tom, and when I say this, you can probably see on the camera that my tongue is firmly placed in my cheek when I say this, but I just wonder whether the ECB actually think that the uh, Sheffield Shield competition might actually be below them. <laughs> well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't do now. They shouldn't do. I think that's, um, it's highlighted how, how above them and how above county cricket Sheffield Shield probably is. And Mark Browning, you're an, an astute observer of Australian cricket. Um, what do you think of the situation at the moment where Chris Silverwood has a is going to lose his job because he's presiding over a crap team? Looks like Justin Langer might lose his job, even though he's presiding over Ashes victory and a T20 World Cup victory. Justin Langer's a, a, a really interesting character and he's a different dude and uh, there's a lot of Feng Shui and Feng Shui and Kama Sutra or something in every all of his philosophies. And uh, look, to some guys, he's going to be an acquired taste and others are going to think he's fantastic. He did a great job as an opening batsman for Australia. Uh, but whether whether he's the right guy going forward to do the three formats, only the in, those inside really know. Uh, he's also, what? Uh, in his moving, let's see, in his 50s now, is he? So, uh, I, you know, I've always been a fan of Andrew McDonald. I saw what success he had at Victoria. Uh, he's a much uh, gentler person in his communication with the players. Uh, he's certainly the heir apparent to me and probably someone like Pat Cummins, who also has a similar outlook, might feel he can relate better to Andrew McDonald. So it, it would be a tough call. I know it's Langer's mates are all behind him, but um, I think there'll be at least a pruning of his... I think there already has been a pruning of his responsibilities and that may go a little bit further. Can I just say one last thing about... Well, one other thing about the Ashes? And, Tom, you don't want to hear this, but I've got to say I loved it. I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, the rest of us who are Geelong Football Club supporters would would understand that every year, if every year was 2007, we would take it open-handed. And I feel a bit the same way about the Ashes. If When we when we smashed the whole thing from 1989 to 2005, I did not bat an eyelid. So due respect, Tom, I love the English, I love you guys, but when it comes to beating your cricket team, give me more. 
don't think Tom's too surprised at that. I bet you, I bet everyone enjoyed it. You all seem to enjoy it. And um, I'm happy for you guys to, to enjoy that. So um, to be be fair though, to be fair though, I've spent a lot of cold winter nights snuggled up in front of the TV with a blanket on watching some absolute shocking cricket from over the, uh, over the ditch or over the pond over in England uh, as the, the English team of, uh, just run rampant through through Australia, so it's uh, yeah, it's 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 all fair in love and cricket, as they say. But uh, uh, you know, the interesting thing for me about just going back to Justin Langer for 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 a couple of seconds, uh, look, I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows my love and in inverted commas for the uh, for Cricket Australia and uh, the current administration and the way the games run. If they if they were to step in now and to give Justin Langer his marching orders, let me tell you, the the guys with the white jackets who take you away to that special padded room should go down to Jolly Mont or wherever Cricket Australia is these days, load up the board, load up the office and take them to the funny farm because Justin Langer can do no more than what he's doing at the moment. We haven't we haven't lost this series 5-0. We've won it 4-0. And for anyone to even remotely think that Justin Langer shouldn't continue in that job, well, they just shouldn't be administering cricket, in my opinion. Mark, there are two kinds of coaches, those that have been sacked and those that are about to be sacked. And (laughs) Justin Langer is no different from anyone else. There are lots of people who've won premierships in football and been sacked that are following. I know that. Doesn't make it right, though, does it? (laughs) No, but there's usually, if if the players have a lot of power and they probably sense that this is a good time to 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 go in a slightly different direction i, I do agree with ricky ponting though ricky ponting came out and said why do the players have a say in this <laughs> they're pretty important at cricket australia mm. oh, apparently there, there are a few rumors about obviously england are going to be without a coach soon so so would langer feasibly take the england role and and how how would that maybe tarnish his his reputation within within australia he probably uh, want to stick it right up him he could take the coaching job and open the batting for England. <laughs> oh, I'll get him. I'd get him in there, definitely. Uh, in our final few minutes, guys, I just need to ask you a couple of questions with regard to technology. Anthony, if you could uh, tell me, has technology exceeded its mandate in our great game? Well, it did with that no ball on the uh, third day. Um, the technology was there to to stamp out the absolute howlers, not to hold up the game while somebody in a box tries to decipher whether a player's foot has landed a millimetre behind or on the line. That's not what it's for. We want to get rid of the, the obvious ones where players have hit the ball onto their pads or they've flicked their shoulder instead of their glove or bat. We... We want that sort of thing stamped out of the game so you don't have the the Buckners and the Ranas from Pakistan and whatever else um, interrupt the flow of the game, but not for this nonsense of whether a player has overstepped the line by a millimetre. So do we, do, we change, do we change the rules of the game then? Do we take away the run from the no ball and just say that if it is a no ball, when they're checking for a wicket, then it's not out? 
but just take away this farce of is it a no ball, isn't it a no ball, just worry about it when a wicket falls because obviously we don't really care that much uh, about whether no balls are called. Uh, I mean, a great example of that was the the recent BBL game uh, in in Geelong. And and from my vantage point up and up in the scorers box, I could tell quite easily that the players were encroaching the front line and by a significant amount, and nobody was even calling no ball or anything like that. It's just like they weren't interested. So do we need to actually just change the rules? Take the run away from the no ball, no runs, but just if you if you get a if you get a wicket, they look at it. It's a no ball. You're not out. Just leave it like that and be done with it. But it's more that trying to. It, it needs to be demonstrably clear that a no ball has been bowled. Hmm. Um, in this particular instance, uh, I don't know. I can't remember who the umpire was who was sitting in the box there, the third umpire. But that, that was Paul Rifle. He should know better as a bowler. Um, that was ridiculous. Was he trying to be consistent because of the – it looked very similar to me to the Mitchell Stark one with Crawley in Sydney, which is also down to the last millimetre. There was yeah. also one with Neil Wagner at Mount Manganui, which is a crucial decision. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I with, the, with the Stark one, because it was an English batsman, I, I railed against that, whereas the English have railed against Rifle's decision. But it did look quite similar. Look, yeah, I think the bowler I thought was supposed to get the benefit of the doubt with those yeah. really tight ones. So if, you, if you're going to go down that line, um, you, you're always going to get, and you're going to take it down to the last molecule, you're always going to get some that are really, really close. And there's, there's two that were. I think the, I think the uh, ball tracking has a big, is a bigger issue because the, in, in Sydney, Stark's pad was just flicked. And then it went on and went over the stumps, and then the ball tracking showed ball tracking showed that um it was going to hit the stumps, and yet clearly it, it didn't. So its path wasn't altered. So look, it's not perfect, but it's probably the best we can get, isn't it? And what can we do that's better? Well, that pretty much wraps our program for this week. On behalf of the team of Anthony Petkovic, Mark Browning, Mark Brunger, and Tom Meredith, where will we find you next week, Tom? Uh, I'll be back in Australia next week, so yeah, I'll be welcomed, welcomed back with open arms. I'm sure. Um, of course, you will um, be. Yeah, looking, for, looking forward to 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 seeing you guys and, and actually playing a bit of cricket. So, um, looking forward to it. That'll be terrific. Thanks so much for uh, even going to the bother of catching up with us as part of the podcast. Since you've been over there in the UK, we've really appreciated the angle that you've been able to provide. It's been terrific. I'm Wes Custworth on behalf of the team, hoping that you've enjoyed this week's podcast. And we trust that you can join us again next week.